Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So good to have you here joining us. We really appreciate you tuning in. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and uh, we're getting a lot more than that. We're also the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress of the Lending. Appreciate them for that. Today's hot topic is we're going to be talking about the appraisal industry, really what's going on there. We're seeing the average age, as many of us know within the industry, is up there. You know, The range has been in the upper 50s all the way up into the upper 60s. Uh, I heard statistics, I think it was the NBA, I'm not going to hold them to that, but around 62 to 65 is the average age of the appraiser now in America. And if you look at the increasing demand and the number of decreasing. We're having a lot of attrition. People leaving the appraisal industry through retirement or what, we're, we're, we're facing something of a, a bit of an issue moving forward. We are fortunate to have William Fall, who is the chairman and CEO of the William Fall Group, a national residential and commercial real estate valuation firm located in Toledo, Ohio. And they have over 40 regional offices in 17 states. William has 30-plus years of industry experience. He has participated in review groups, both for SRA and MAI, as the designations, as well as the disciplinary committees for the Appraisal Institute. He holds an appraiser license, certifications in California, Indiana, Michigan. My gosh, the list goes on and on. He is all over the place. He is also a member of the Collateral Risk Network and the advisory uh, industry advisory council for, of the Appraisal Foundation and the executive board member of the National Appraisal Congress and is a member of the Mortgage Bankers Association. It's always fun to have guests, and this topic is one that's really important, especially when you look at the aging population of our appraisal list. So joining me is William Fall. Good to have you here, William. Hey, thanks, David. Uh, very nice to be included today, that's for sure. Well, there's a lot going on here, but I think let's for those that are not familiar with you, give us a little insights into uh, your background as well as your company. Give us a little insight to who the William Fall Group is. Yeah, thanks uh, so much. Um, yeah, we've been in business over 35 years. Our company has uh, two divisions. Uh, what we call WFG consists of our residential and commercial employee staff appraisers. And as we mentioned, uh, we operate in about 40 major metro areas on a, on a daily basis. But I suspect most on the call today will likely more recognize our wholly owned subsidiary valuation partners. This is our appraisal management company, which uh, conducts business for a whole host of lenders around the, the country and U.S. territories as well. And once again, Vell Partners operates both residentially as well as commercial for commercial clients. You guys do a great job, and for those that are not familiar with the company, I encourage the, our listeners to get a hold of you. You, got, you offer great service across there, and you're one of the leaders of the industry, and that's why, as you heard in your bio, you're a tremendous amount of um, involvement in the industry. But let's talk a little bit about the history. There are a number of people. Now, for those of you the listeners that are experienced, I understand that, but we're going to cover a little bit of the history of AMCs for those that are newer to the industry because we have an, a huge population of listeners who are joining in and using this program as a way of learning more. So what's the brief history about AMCs and where did this all begin? 
Yeah, sure. Um, appraisal management largely began in the early 70s. And generally, appraisal management companies at that time were, were usually bundled uh, title and appraisal offerings, uh, most often appearing in the home equity or second mortgage uh, space. Price and, and convenience, quite honestly, made AMC selection an easy option for, for lenders uh, participating at that time. And looking back from my perspective, banks even largely began with uh, the HELOC world, uh, but quickly expanded uh, using AMCs into first mortgage origination as their uh, lending portfolios uh, expanded. As you look at the AMC industry, you know why and how are they utilized? Well, frankly, I think AMC's emerged as a very efficient form of outsourcing the valuation component, obviously, and integrated in the loan approval process. For starters, costs are outsourced, making management of fluctuating real estate cycles more of a variable cost rather than being a large internal cost center. And clearly, since uh, the adoption of Dodd-Frank, appraiser independence has been a really keystone compliance issue for lenders. Uh, AMCs are obviously a natural source and choice, rather, to assure that communication uh, that does occur is proper and non-influential in nature. And uh, lastly, valuation as a topic can be pretty challenging on the subject matter side. And many AMCs uh, prove to be a very good partner for uh, lending specialized experience, expertise, core issue knowledge that uh, our clients uh, and uh, others uh, have come to rely upon. I don't know that a lot of people are aware of this, but AMCs are really agents for the lender. Talk about that. Correct. AMCs are do not exempt lenders from compliance liability, right. but they offer a very well-coordinated solution to harness uh, the moving parts that are needed for effective valuation system. AMCs build a panel of qualified appraisers that are professionally capable, geographically competent, and appropriately experienced to be qualified to receive assignments. Further, AMCs monitor licensure, keeping them up to date, renewals, errors in emission coverage, and even often oversee background check processes. When you look at how the industry is growing and the demands for these services, how has it impacted AMC, especially as you look at the shrinking number of appraisers out there? The the population is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, good, very good point. I, I think initially uh, one of the largest safeguards offered by AMCs was their ability to maintain high levels of uh, quality control measures that uh, were undertaken to alleviate secondary market concerns relative to the quality of the collateral. While protection against uh, repurchase demands uh, obviously remains, current influences, I think, are much more focused on on compliance, um, assurance that the most qualified appraiser was chosen, that specialization requirements that are needed at the individual property level are, are adhered to, payment of customary reasonable fees, achievement of uh, client service and content. The, these are really just some of the few of the of, of the daily demands that uh, AMCs oversee. I want to get Alice in this in a little bit, in a few minutes here in this discussion, especially when you talk about the regulatory side of it, because you, when you're going to talk AMCs, you talk appraisals, it is getting just more and more complicated. But what are the ty- what are the typical regulatory items that hit AMCs or the valuations in general? Yeah, fr- front and center is... Uh, 
uniform standards of uh, professional appraisal practice, usually abbreviated as USPAP. Those letters are familiar to most everyone on the call. Um, and of course, the individual appraiser is charged with performing these requirements and guidelines, but uh, quality AMC needs to have proper quality and controls in place that would produce a be certain to, um, that uh, a credible report has been written and uh, there's proper documentation and support. But as you mentioned, there's other elements of compliances uh, that are really starting to impact us, notably Graham-Leach relative to confidentiality and non-public information, UDAP uh, relative to consumer complaint policies and processes, and uh, certainly ECOA now that electronic loan processes are gaining in popularity. And obviously, TILA and RESPA are never far from uh, uh, the discussion either. I think most uh, importantly, though, the current environment is much more focused on outcomes, um, showing regulators and auditors how it is done rather than just having a policy manual on the back shelf. Uh, I know our company spends a lot of money on in-house talent as well as outside counsel to uh, manage some of the compliance demands that are in the AMC industry uh, at the current time. When you look at the challenges that have emerged from TRID or even the other ones that are out there, I mean, well, the latest one is from HUD. So I want to talk about some of that. And then, Alice, as soon as we get into this, I want to invite you into the discussion here right after uh, – William has had a response to that. So, how have you seen any, cha- or how have you seen the challenges emerge as a result of TRIB, and now with the latest from HUD? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think TRIB, uh, from a valuation standpoint, is, has not offered a lot of challenges. David, we we adjusted some price lists um, to accommodate client needs, particularly those that uh, expect expect uh, a statewide pricing model. We needed to tailor that so that uh, change circumstances were not confronted very often or as, as least often as possible. And I really originally thought that TRID would lead to perhaps a cost-plus-fee model but uh, because of the three-day wait period at, at the front end. But um, I, I think on the origination side, there's just too much fear of going back to the applicant and saying, gee, your, your cost of change that might spur them to even look for a different uh, different lender to, to make loan with, uh, make their loan application with. So I, I just don't think that's a realistic option, unfortunately. As to uh, HUD, the new EAD process, that's electronic appraisal delivery, the, has generated a lot of, of uh, communication and, and some noise out there, frankly, mostly relative to the notice of deficiency letters. But HUD has, frankly, issued these for years. Their new system is, as mentioned, electronic, and so it's a lot easier for them to do it now and to do it more comprehensively. So my my suspicion, I'm anxious to hear Alice's input, that I, I think that appraisers will wind up adjusting some of their reporting style and uh, avoid some of the challenges uh, that they are encountering with the EAD process, just as they did when they were uh, initially getting deficiency letters from um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac when when the UAD process was started a couple of years ago. Right now, there there is a lot of noise out there on the EAD front. Alice? Hi, hi Bill. Welcome to the program. So, there, yeah, you're right. There is a lot going on. So, since you were just uh, bringing up the uh, EAD from FHA, for those who may not be familiar with it, the Electronic Appraisal Delivery Portal, 
a lot of what is needed in that checking of the appraisal report are some basic field information, right? It's not, this particular service isn't running through um, valuation determination in any way. It's just going through some checks and balances, do fields within the report, match itself, and then there's some things that are hard stops. So, so are you sensing from the appraisers that this is causing a new set of problems, that there's such a different, that this is a big disconnect, this is not the same as UAD? Uh, in other words, I would have thought that since they went through UAD, they were pretty close on FHAs, but apparently not, it sounds like. Yeah, the the key difference, Alice, I think, is in the uh, uh, FHA guidelines that are that are mandated, obviously, uh, that are uh, unique to the government system as opposed to Fannie and Freddie, um, and I, I think that's spurring some confusion out there. Uh, but you're right. Uh, like it or not, some appraisers are not very consistent with what they put into their appraisal reports. Um, and so when condition changes from one property, uh, use of, uh, as a comparable on one property to the next, it's going to raise red flags. And uh, I suspect many individuals are now, just for the first time or at least recent time, seeing a lot of this feedback. And it's uh, causing some, uh, I won't say negative reaction, but it's causing reaction. Yeah, and definitely with collateral underwriter on the conventional side, you know, I think uh, the lenders are trying to get a handle on how to manage the information. And there are a lot of companies out there that are the underwriters just aren't trained well on CU, and I'm sure they're making the appraiser's life miserable because the minute they get any type of message, they want the message cleared, right? They're used to, I have to clear messages, I have to clear messages. And the reality is with CU, you don't have to clear all of them. There's still the underwriter has to underwrite the appraisal. Absolutely, and and it, it's starting to point to a need, in my view, on, uh, from an industry perspective, to have some better clarity around uh, underwriting for creditworthiness versus underwriting the collateral. Larger lenders and banks obviously do this already with fairly sizable internal review mechanisms, um, review staffs, chief appraisers, you name it. Sometimes that gets a little bit tough for a, a, a smaller mortgage generator, and uh, so the underwriter has to wear two hats, and, and that's where that training disconnect occurs. You know, when you look at the amount of information that's out there and the, the selection process, I want to focus on that. How is an appraiser selection determined now? Has anything really changed in that? Not, not really. Um, once again, the AMC is an agent, so whether the appraiser is chosen by directly by the lender or through an AMC, you're going to see a pretty similar process. Um, uh, obviously, though, this can become a real challenge. Um, for instance, is it the closest appraiser? Is it the appraiser that has worked in this market for multiple years? Might it be the top-rated appraiser with the fewest correction rates? What about specific expertise relevant to the uh, subject property type? And regardless, who is the appraiser that can uh, achieve the turnaround time needed by the lender? So it's really critical for an agency to, to, to quote-unquote, know the appraiser and have a rationale in place that supports their selection for that particular assignment. When you look at how an AMC is determined to be qualified or not, speak to that because has that has that moved? I think it's even more critical that you know you're dealing with a qualified AMC. Yeah, you're exactly right. This has uh, uh, really been stepping up over the last few years. The um, RFPs that, that we look at um, really look 
carefully at experience, reputation, financial creditworthiness. Information security is, is really emerged as, as a big factor. Um, at, at a minimum, lenders want to see a SOC 2 type audit for the primary computer data center where information is usually stored in at least a SOC 1 when uh, sharing proper internal processes. Uh, so material compliance policies are, are really, really part of the mix. And they, we have even asked as to how often we participate with state regulators that are overseeing our AMCs and uh, how often we might be uh, reporting appraisers that are deficient in USPAP compliance in terms of mandatory reporting. So it's really important that a lender has um, an AMC partner who, at the end of the day, can make some tough decisions, help them be a partner and as absolutely, totally committed to best-of-class service. Well, you guys, now, do you do the SOC 2 audits? Are you doing that, or are you doing it in a third party? Is that oh, that's third party? all third party, David. You're correct. Okay. Correct. I thought that was the case. The reason I bring that up is Andy Shell. if you got, anyone's looking for a SOC 2 uh, audit done on any of this stuff, vendor management in any way, shape, or form, you've got to get a hold of Andy Shell. There's my shameless plug for you. Andy, <laughs> you do a great <laughs> job with these things. Really, did you want to add a quick comment to that? I'm looking at the clock; it's clicking away here fast. But you want to add something to that, Andy? Well, thanks, Dave. Appreciate all of that. Actually, I would like to ask Bill a quick question, if I can, if you don't mind, and if yeah. I don't sound yeah. too uninformed in, in doing so. Um, you know, Bill, a lot of the folks we work with use AMCs, and it works great. They can they can actually pick which appraisers are in the round robin, and we've got some some clients who don't use an AMC but have their own pool of appraisers that circulate in the round robin. Can you give some, you know, good and the bad and the ugly among those two choices? Oh, sure. Thanks, Andy. Uh, that's a that's a, a tough answer in the time we have. But briefly, if you're going to manage your own panel, you've really got to be diligent and invest carefully on performing the duties that an AMC typically takes on for you. And quality control is probably absolutely at the top of the list and or appraisal independence has to be very much at the top of the list because you're going to be looked at by some regulator, auditor, whoever, at some point in time, and you're not going to hoodwink them if you've got a panel of three people covering Los Angeles. So there really has to be some good sensibility and a strong dedication by upper management to be able to do it on on your own. Uh, An AMC, usually by default, given some of the complexities that are inevitable in the day-to-day, is uh, often a, a superior choice. I know that can meet with some friction, but by the same token, it goes back to uh, really having a, a program, lending program of, of sound integrity at, at the core of your uh, of your company. Well, that's great, Bill. And you had talked about some of the duties AMC provides, like validating licenses and all this other stuff. And that's just a lot of work for someone to make sure they get it right. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, let's go to some of the horizon, some of the issues that you're seeing on the immediate horizon. What what are you seeing? I mean, we're seeing appraisers getting older, few of them coming in, so attrition is one of them. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest newsworthy item today is uh, there, there clearly is a, a declining number of appraisers in the workforce, and, and maybe that's because we've been so darn busy in the last 12 to 14 months and or we're seeing it certainly in some of the remote, remote locations. But, boy, as you mentioned, David, the average uh, appraiser's age is north of 60, 
and uh, attrition at three to four percent of our population per year is going to become a real, real factor. And what I think about is um, many people have done some demographic forecasts that are projecting as much as 24 million new households over to be formed over the next 10 years. So that group of people, some of a lot of them maybe even are going to be renters, but a lot of them are going to be homeowners. And um, when you complement new purchases uh, along with HELOCs and second mortgages and whatever, I really worry that we have a sustainable base of qualified appraisers that can perform um, important uh, valuation tasks. What is being done to really tackle this issue? Do we need more education women? Yeah, I, I fortunately it's more recruiting um, too, isn't it? I mean, it's, we have a recruiting issue into this thing. I'm trying to get my daughter. Totally, I think one of my daughters would be a wonderful appraiser. <laughs> Send her my way, please. You know, fortunately, the appraisal qualification board of the appraisal foundation has undertaken some a pretty close study of how to make the profession more enticing while not compromising on quality. The primary theme being that the current barriers to entry are being evaluated and replaced with more competency-based education and experience. Um, and I personally believe very strongly in, in simulative and experiential types of training. Think of the Khan Academy, and that's K-H-A-N, if those of you that may not be familiar with it. Uh, and I think there's going to be business gaming sessions developed as well. But talk a little bit about when you're talking about gaming. I would like to tie that back in. A lot of people are not understanding what that might be. Right. There, there are literally applications in many industries already, uh, financial services being one of them, that replicate real-world experiences. For instance, of a venture capital fund, for instance, uh, would allow you to, quote-unquote, invest in a new stage company and, and, uh, and help that through its evolutionary stages of uh, growing, building a business plan, hiring sales, the whole thing. And trust me, I've done some of this, and you're darn lucky to get your money back at the end. But those kinds of, uh, of educational tools are very much out there. And, you know, Samsung Gear, Oculus uh, with virtual reality uh, are going to literally uh, radically change the way we all learn and interact in the world um, in the not-too-distant future. We had someone actually just shoot me a quick test. Do you see the the work of drones ever coming in and helping to add greater efficiencies and others, whereas making the appraisers that we have, the fewer number, be able to do more? Is there any chance of technology coming in and impacting? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think there's components of that, David, that remain to be discovered. But most appraisal work requires an, an interior inspection of, of, of the yeah. residents, for instance. And so that's going to be a couple of years out there, to say the least. Yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought of that. Sure. Yeah, it, yeah, no, uh, it, it could well uh, – uh, be an influence on uh, uh, second mortgage or HELOC uh, loans where you've already got some basis for the primary collateral. But I, I think right. first mortgage origination, that's uh, a ways away. That's what I anticipate. Well, what's the more immediate things that can be done right now? I, I really think uh, good old-fashioned uh, business practice need to um, to be uh, really uh, adhered to. Uh, appraisers obviously get bugged by correction requests, particularly silly ones that have no bearing on value. Mobile appraising is uh, becoming more functional and, and helping deal with uh, interruptions like this. 
But uh, at the bottom, at the end of the day, professionalism has to be emphasized. Treating the parties of the transaction as colleagues, not adversaries. Having the appraisers provide truly timely updates and honest communication, being realistic on deliverables. Uh, fr- frankly, at the end, uh, mutual respect still goes uh, a long way in my book. Positive outlook, concern. What's your overall outlook for things as we wrap this up? Yeah, guardedly positive, yes. I think we've got to be pretty diligent to service what I, uh, is often termed as being the public trust. Uh, and by that, I mean instill confidence uh, with those that are counting on the system to provide unbiased, high-quality value opinion and products. And as long as we can adhere to ethical principles that underscore this mentality, I, I think we'll be fine. Encouraging. Folks, we've had William Fall, who is uh, president and uh, CEO, of the founder of the William Fall Group. It's really been good to get an update on this very important topic and I encourage you to share this out with others. We have got to address the appraisal issues that are going on. And the biggest one in my mind is the shortage and uh, and you guys got to talk. You got to talk to leaders like William Fall. So, William, how can people get a hold of you and your representatives to really form a partnership on addressing some of these issues? Yeah, I'd, I'd look forward to hearing from anyone. Uh, my uh, email address is wfall at williamfallgroup.com, and uh, welcome any uh, contribution for sure. Appreciate you joining us and being a part of the program. It's really good to have you here and look forward to having you back. And please give us updates from time to time. Just posted that we would like to have you back again, William. So glad, so glad to do so. Thank you, David. All right. You bet. It's been good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate William taking time to join in. The drums have started. We're over the clock, and uh, which means we have got to get out so we can all get back to work. Thank you so much for making this a way of you staying in touch with all that's going on in the industry. It is really an honor to have you be a part of us. Folks, have a great week, and look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level.